2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's on page 1162. Um, Let me pray just now before we come to, to think about this passage together. Father God, we're coming into a season uh, where we remember your giving of the great gift of Jesus, uh, your own Son, for our salvation. Lord, you give us so many gifts, and one of the great gifts is your word, your, your spoken and now recorded word. We pray that we would be eager always to hear from you and to act on the basis of what you say to us. So, Lord, let today be one of those days when we pay attention to your voice and act on the basis of what you say to us. Amen. Earlier this year, we had our AGM after a Sunday morning service here in the church, and I can still remember a gentleman coming to me after the service and saying, asking me the question, does this church teach tithing? Uh, tithing, believe in tithing or teach tithing. And and I explained to the gentleman that, yes, we understood that biblical idea and that I had taught on that subject in in the past. But I I realized, I suppose, that it was over five years since I'd taught at all in any way on the subject of money or giving. So this morning, we're going to take a break from our first Peter series, and we're going to look at Christian giving. Turn with me for a second to the, the update that you got today, because there's a wee leaflet or brochure in there. Um, it's this blue uh, leaflet that I'm thinking of called The Grace of Giving. This has recently been issued um, and sent throughout all Presbyterian churches in Ireland, so uh, I don't know, 300,000 copies of, of this have been distributed to um, Presbyterians all over. The Presbyterian Church has asked congregations all over to consider uh, the question of Christian giving. In some senses, this can seem like a difficult subject to address, but I have to say I don't have too much hesitation in addressing it here this morning. And the reason for that is that I'm clear what my purpose in this is. So I'm not, this isn't a fundraising speech. Uh, this isn't trying to get your money. If you've been around here for the last 10 years, you'll know that that is simply not a central part of what my ministry here is about, to stand before you and, and ask for your money. This is a different thing. This is biblical obedience. This is taking a fundamental part of Christian discipleship, uh, which is our relationship with our wealth, and particularly as it expresses itself in giving. So this is about living for Jesus, which is something that I'm very much about, and I'm always keen to help you think more about here. Since what I've just said there is very much the case, I I want you to hear me. If you're somebody who isn't a disciple of Jesus Christ, um, if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're somebody who maybe comes along to church, enjoys thinking about these things, but hasn't yet taken a step of commitment to Jesus, don't sweat about any of the stuff that I'm saying here because it's not for you. Feel free to listen in and get a feel for what disciples of Jesus Christ think about these subjects. 
because that will help you to evaluate uh, where you, you sit with all of this. But, but this isn't for you unless you're somebody who said, no, uh, the, the, the following Jesus is important to me. I've committed myself uh, to the Bible. That's why I want to know about these things. So I'm going to try this morning very quickly to tackle three questions. How much should a Christian give? How should a Christian give? And what does this look like in practice? So, very quickly, that first question, how much should a Christian give? I remember uh, that debate uh, raging in, in when I was a little boy, hearing people talk about that. And, and there was a mysterious word that kept cropping up, the, the word tithe. Uh, and that's the, the word I uh, was asked about after our AGM last year. So the tithe, that's a, an old-fashioned word which talks about a tenth or 10%. And it comes from the, the teaching of the Old Testament where God's people were encouraged to give 10% of their income to, to God. You might be relieved, or on the other hand, you might be disappointed to hear that I'm not going to, to uh, make that a major part of what I want to say this morning, because I've come to some very simple conclusions uh, about the whole tithe debate. They're, they're summarized wonderfully in a paragraph that I read in a Genesis commentary by Bruce Walkey. Uh, so let me read uh, this paragraph for you. Walkey says, from ancient times, people have recognized the appropriateness of giving God at least a tenth of their income. Malachi reckons that giving God less than a tithe is robbing him. Jesus reckons tithing as less important than a less important matter of the law than showing justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Nevertheless, he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So after Pentecost, the church drops the principle of the tithe. There's no mention of it in the New Testament church. There's a different principle, and the principle is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Still in the Bruce Walkie quotation, he says, Christians are to give eagerly, generously, and cheerfully, the amount depending on one's level of prosperity. The apostles never instruct nor motivate people to give on the basis of an obligation to tithe. Our practice should reflect the abundant generosity called for in the New Testament. But all too often, Christians tithe in order not to give too much, and pastors teach tithing to ensure that people don't give too little. I like that. So Christians tithe. We try to find what's, what's the least I can get away with, and we tick, and we say, good, I'm doing that. And pastors stand at the front, and they go on and on and on about the tithe to, to make sure that the, the money is coming in uh, um, to, to God's work. With that masterful summary, I'm going to leave the subject of how much to give and spend the rest of my time this morning thinking about how we give. And there's, there's no passage in the New Testament, I don't think, which develops this theme more than First Corinth, or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So if you look down at the, the passage which we read this morning. We read those opening verses, but the whole two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, deal with this subject. 
There's something very particular going on here. Um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's telling them about a collection that he's spearheading uh, among the Greek churches for the poor in Judea. And this is a really big deal for Paul. It's mentioned not only here, but he mentions it in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16, uh, as well as, as in these chapters. So let me point out very quickly a few biblical principles that arise from this passage. First of all, our giving is a way of sharing in God's work. Look at verses 3 to 4 of our passage. Paul wants the Macedonian believers, he talks about them, who gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They wanted to play their part. They couldn't imagine a collection going on that they weren't allowed to be a part of. Secondly, we should excel in giving as we do in other ministries. So in chapter 8, verse 7, Paul encourages the Corinthian believers. He says, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and your love for us, see to it that you excel in this grace of giving. We should want to be great givers. Any person whom God has given a gift should want to exercise that gift to the best of their ability. A third thing arising from the passage here, we shouldn't let our giving run out of steam. So look at verse 11. Paul says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So real giving isn't about momentary good intentions. It's not about waiting for the next TV appeal that pulls on your heartstrings. You, you write a check or you give, and then you forget about giving uh, for the next months or years. It's, a, it's an ongoing uh, discipline. A fourth aspect, moving into chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 8, we should give according to our means. It says there, God is able to make grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. We're to give according to what God has given us. In verse 7, we're reminded of the crucial principle that we, we give with a smile. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we're not enjoying our giving, then there's something else that's motivating us to give, and whatever that thing is, it's not a healthy motive. We're to give generously. We notice that in the Walkie quotation, that we're not supposed to be looking for what's the bare minimum I can get away with. We love God, and we're committed to seeing other people know of His love and to hear about His love. So in verse 6, Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's more here, but I'll finish for now with an overarching principle that we should give with gratitude. Look at chapter 9, verse 15. This passage is all about giving, 
And Paul very skillfully and correctly points us back to the greatest gift that's ever been given or received. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's really important that we get this. I could go home and sell everything I have, give it all away tomorrow, and I still wouldn't have outgiven God. I wouldn't have begun to compare with his generosity, his grace, and his kindness. He gives his own son. It's, it's staggering. It's amazing. So all of our giving is simply in response to that. We've thought how much a Christian should give. We've thought about how we should give. I want to spend the rest of the time being very, very practical. Uh, what does this look like in practice? Maybe you'd lift again that leaflet, the, the leaflet I mentioned earlier. You'll find on the back of the leaflet four steps to transform giving, and I thought I would try to, to work with those as I gave you a sense uh, about uh, how we might give. Because we're talking about a giving that's in proportion to your income, you've got to know what your income is. So that's the first step. Work out what your weekly, monthly, or annual income is. All of it. Include it all. It's all a gift from God. It's all something that you're responsible for God for, uh, responsible to God for. So calculate your monthly or, or annual income. The second step Decide what percentage you want to give. I've already given you a sense of where, what conclusions I've come to on this. I think the tithes are a really good principle. While it's not a New Testament law, I think it's a good starting point. It's something to, to strive for. But you might say to yourself, well, I couldn't possibly give a tithe. You don't understand my financial world if you think I could. Well, if you're giving less than a tithe, why don't you try to give more next year than you did this year? So, if you give 0% of your income last year to God, and you feel very stretched, why don't you try and give 1% next year? Or if you give 5% last year, why not try to give 6 Why don't you begin a journey Perhaps you feel like you have very little disposable income right now, and, and actually that might be true. So if you gave away a substantial amount of your money, all you'd be doing is putting yourself into debt, and we'd be trying to find a debt counselor to help you get out of debt. That doesn't seem a very healthy way to engage in Christian giving. If we want to give well to God... For most of us, it means we have to decrease some of our spending on ourselves. Do you see that those two are related? It's naive to think they're not. Maybe, maybe for you, they're not. Maybe you have this vast income that allows you to spend all you want and to give as much as you'd want. I'm going to guess that's a tiny minority of people. We may have to decrease our spending if we want to increase our giving. How do you decrease your spending? Well, maybe you drive your car for a few more years when it's still working fine, but you normally would have upgraded it. 
We don't mindlessly upgrade all our technologies. They don't need to be upgraded if they still work and do the business. Why not keep using them? We don't need a full wardrobe makeover every season. It might be just one or two items can keep things fresh. So we need to calculate the percentage that we would like to give. A third step is to calculate the actual amount. So um, I, I thought this might turn into a maths lesson and I wanted to avoid that. Um, if, if you had a, a monthly income of a thousand pounds and you wanted to tithe, you might decide, I, I'm gonna try and give 100 pounds a month. I think the fourth step uh, that I'm gonna suggest is a very important one. And that is that you set aside what you're planning to give. I, I don't mind sharing, you, sharing with you uh, um, the habit that we have created in our household in this area. So just as uh, a salary comes in via direct debit into our uh, bank account at the end of every, every month, at the same time, uh, a standing order goes out to another bank account, which we keep as our account for giving. So we hold money in that bank account solely for the purpose of giving. It means we're not in danger of just using the money we hope to give to God to, to pay the next electric bill or to keep petrol in the car. Uh, that money is, is, is set aside. In the Old Testament, God called his people to give an offering called the first fruits. And I think it has a wonderful symbolism. What happened was when you were harvesting your crop, you went out and you took the first part of the crop and gave it to God. Now I'm going to guess that people in those days had the same pressures that we do, that they had a family to feed and bills to pay. But before you did any of that, you gave to God. I think this, this kind of an approach where we set money aside is a useful way of, of giving our first fruits to God. We say, this comes first. All my other costs, all my other expenditures come after it. And the, the fifth step or the fourth step on the little blue sheet there, there is to decide who will be the beneficiaries. Decide who you're going to give to. Folks, it seems to me that the local church would be an important part of any Christian's giving. They'd want to give uh, to, in a significant way to their local church. But we all have other interests that God gives us. And it's a real joy, I think, as a Christian to be able to give to other missional interests that God has given us or, or charitable interests. Maybe you've taken a, a, a decision at some point in the past to try and do the kind of thing that I've described here. Could I encourage you to, to keep under review uh, the amount that you have decided to give uh, the reason I say that is that our, our financial circumstances change. Uh, we know that in our household where the, the income that we have had as a household has gone up and gone down depending on decisions we have made about Claire being at home for childcare, uh, me changing the role or job that I'm in. So keep, keep reviewing your financial giving. I've no idea what you're making of all this this morning. No idea. But some of you, I think, are probably 
sitting there listening to me and you think I'm nuts. You think I don't know your world. I was challenged about all of this by an article that a colleague of mine, James Burnett, the minister of Lowe Memorial in South Belfast, wrote quite recently. He was talking on this subject of giving in Reach Out, one of the church's magazine publications. I would guess that his congregation is not that different than ours. I would guess that there are wealthy people in his congregation as there are in ours, and some people who are less wealthy in his as there are in ours. But at one point in his article, he says this. He says, Consider the challenge and struggle for a family with two incomes and a total income in excess of £80,000 to give away 10% to the local church. Is it a struggle on that income? He asks. He says it is a struggle because it seems ridiculous to their bank managers, parents, and colleagues who would think they're out of their minds. And so the family settles for giving £1,500 or £2,000. And he finishes then with a question, is this being generous towards Christ? He's doing a very interesting thing with that example. Because he's pointing out, I think, that giving is still a challenge for people who are significantly wealthy. It's not easy to give a significant proportion of your wealth when you're wealthy, because that ends up being a significant amount of money. Most of us would settle for giving something much less, something that looks pretty good, quite respectable. Oh, Christoph's a generous guy. He gives such and such. The story of the widow's might deals exactly with this question that James Burnett has raised here. Whenever God blesses us with wealth, he gives us, I think, a responsibility, and it's the responsibility of giving. Wealthy people are not to be big consumers. They're not to be big spenders. Wealthy people are to be big givers. That's what Scripture teaches. That's what God calls us to. Turn with me for a second to Romans chapter 12, because it it gives us a, a way of thinking about Romans chapter 12, and Paul says in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Look at those other gifts. Serving, teaching, prophesying. Those are the kinds of things that we talk about in churches. A person using their gifts, that's very churchy language. But Paul then drops in the gift of giving. According to Paul, because of their circumstances, people, some people have a particular ability to give. And it's a gift from God. 
this, this ability. And in our passage this morning, back in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says we should make the most of this gift. He says, see to it that you excel in this grace or this gift of giving. Folks, I need to ask you, and I need to ask us as a congregation, is it not possible or even likely that God has given us the grace of giving? That we are people who have been gifted in this particular way and that God longs to see us exercise our discipleship in the gift of giving. That seems to me to be a sensible implication of everything we've seen so far this morning. As I draw to a close this morning, I want to encourage you and to challenge you. I asked the the finance subcommittee here how things were going. I haven't been going to our committee meetings for a couple of years now, so I don't know much about this part of our church's life. And I was given a couple of of headlines. Um, One was a great bit of news. Um, Earlier this year, if you remember, or sometime within the last year, we decided to buy a small property, which is over there. We we call it the fudge factory, a, a small property adjoining the church. We hoped that it could help us create some space for youth ministry and also some much-needed administrative space to allow the the ministry of the church to continue to develop. I've heard that just in the last couple of weeks that that, the loan that we took out to pay for the purchase of that property has been paid off. I think that's fabulous that within the space of a year we were able to to buy that small property and now are, are living without debt in that regard. Room for improvement from the committee. This isn't from me. This is, you know, this is the, the annual report. Room for improvement. Here's the thing. Our giving at the moment as a congregation, as a whole, is, is pretty stationary, pretty static, maybe a, a tiny, tiny upward drift. But that's happening at a time when significant numbers of people are joining the church. So more and more people are, are sharing in this work of giving, but we're still giving roughly the same amount. So there's a sense in which the, the giving that we're giving per household is diminishing. And the committee have suggested that that's something we might want to think about, that there might be room for improvement in that regard. I've been wondering for a long time, when would be a good time to make this uh, presentation to you. I've always thought that it would be good later in the year, uh, whenever we're getting near the end of one financial year, when a new set of envelopes is just on its way, when you might just be thinking about your level of giving to the church. There's another reason why I thought that this might be a good time. I thought if I got to us all this Sunday, just before we hit the shopping malls and go mad online with our credit cards, 
I thought the conversation would make more sense than it would in three weeks' time because then it would only be an exercise in guilt for all of us. We're going to celebrate here in a few weeks' time the giving of the greatest gift ever, God giving us his Son in Jesus. And I suppose what's at the back of my mind, I'm wondering, is, is the best way to celebrate that? To charge around like mad things, spending more money than we have on stuff that we don't need to give to people who are already going to Ikea to buy storage solutions? Is that, is this the best way to celebrate the birth of Jesus? Or is there a better way? All our giving to God should be out of gratitude to God for his wonderful gift to us. Paul uses a a brilliant phrase. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We want to be people who, who give because we know that we're people who have received. I'm going to ask the fellas at the back to, to show the, the second of the Advent Conspiracy videos just now. Hopefully, this will help us all just to think a little bit before we head off into the, the Christmas shopping season in the days ahead. That uh, video was made by a movement called Advent Conspiracy. And if you were struck by that at all, I'd encourage you to go and just look them up online and you'll see uh, some of their resources. We're actually going to follow their four themes uh, during the four Sundays of Advent, but I thought I'd try to get a, uh, let you see that. As I say, it feels like next week might even be too late to, to start that conversation. So let's, let's think about giving to God, and let's see if this Christmas season uh, might be a time when we uh, start uh, to do more of that. Just now we're going to pray, and then we're going to, to sing together. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your overwhelming kindness to us. Lord, we talk often about how you've given us the greatest thing of all in your Son. And yet, Lord, our lives demonstrate that we've come to value other things more than you and more than Jesus. So, Lord, we pray today that you'd give us clarity. Help us to see again what the greatest thing of all is. Help us to put all other things in their place around Jesus. And Lord, help us to be joyful and courageous in this area of giving. Lord, help us to find the joy that there is in giving to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.